I am absolutely delighted to see the room so full because um, A, it's December, B, there's flu going around, and C, in winter children get sick. And so it is just a tremendous blessing that you all are here. Please feel free to, to take the, the time to turn your chairs around so you'll be comfortable. As Holly mentioned to you, I am the mother of two sons. Um, and for many years, I was a mentoring mom um, for a MOPS group in Garland. And I used to tell people that what qualified me to be a mentor mom was that I raised two children to adulthood without killing either one of them. <clears throat> and there were days when it was, it was dicey. But I, I have, I'm here to tell you that although the, the times can be rocky, particularly the adolescent years, and right now, you know, you're just tuning me out because your children are small and they're adorable. Your boys love you. Your daughters do not eye roll at you. And you are thinking, my children will always love me best. And those days will come to an end. Just want you to know, they will end. They may end. And then they will come back. Um, some, I wish someone had told me earlier on in my time of being a mom that <clears throat> adolescence is God's way of saying, let go. And it makes it a lot easier to let go of those children when they're pulling away from you. And often, starting around ages 14 or 15, they'll go off on this independent trajectory. And it's like they go behind the dark side of the moon. And as they head into 20, it's real easy for them to disengage from you and you feel like there's no communication happening. But when they come back from the dark side of the moon, they're coming toward you. And let me just give that to you now when your children are small. They're just a little piece of hope to hang on to because the rocky years are ahead. And, and it's, all, it's, it's not all bad, okay? Our children do need to disengage from us. But it hurts because <clears throat> we want to be so enmeshed with them that they just keep filling our tanks. But that's not God's plan for us. Um, I just want to encourage you that it's all good in the end. You just keep hanging on Jesus and trusting him to be a parent through you, and it makes all the difference in the world. We, we had some rough times with one son in particular who has given me permission, carte blanche permission, to share any story that I want to with him that I feel would be edifying or helpful. We have an incredible relationship now, and a big part of that is I am a recovering control freak. Um, I am not, I'm not recovered. I am still recovering. But as I learn to take my hands off and trust him into God's hands instead of trying to control and manipulate him, our relationship got a lot better. So I will probably have some stories that, um, and they're mainly about one son, the one who gave me permission, because the other son <clears throat> came out of the womb going, how can I please you today? <laughs> What are the rules and how may I keep them? <laughs> I love you, Mommy. You're the best Mommy in the world. And I don't ever want to do anything to make you angry with me. As a matter of fact, this one the one story I can tell about this child is that at one point I had to give him a spanking. And we used um, one of my husband's fraternity paddles to give spankings. Because they're so big that they don't deliver a big wallop, you know, because a lot of the energy is just kind of dispersed along this long board. And so I had to give him a spanking on one of the rare occasions that he did anything wrong. 
hand, he said. Okay, I understand you have to give me a spanking, but can I hold you while you spank me? And I said, well, okay. So you, you get this. There's this little kid about this big, and he's, he's, he's hugging me, and he's got his arms around my back, right? So I've got this paddle, and I'm spanking him this way, you know. And, of course, what that did is that it, definitely decreased the amount of strength that I had to spank him. It, it really cut down on the force with which he was getting hit. And I never tried to hit that hard anyway. And the Lord tapped me on the shoulder and he said, Are you paying attention? Look what happens when you embrace the one delivering the discipline in the midst of the discipline. It makes it a lot easier to take. When I'm disciplining you, hug me, embrace me, cling to me, and it will ease the pain of discipline. And I remember thinking, oh, that's really good. And, oh, I know that means that there's discipline coming, so I'm going to get a chance to use that. But at any rate, we now have two grown sons who are happily adjusted adults. One is 29, the other is 27. And um, our 29-year-old is a baby boomerang. Um, we threw him out to the United States Air Force. We had four great years. And in that time, he got married, and the marriage didn't work out. Um, and very, very painful ending that he did not want. And he's back living with us. It's all good. <laughs> By faith. Actually, it, was, it's, it is a good thing. I, delug, I told him the other day, I like you. I like having you around, and I particularly like it because you're an IT genius that you can fix all computer issues in our house. But at any rate, Kurt taught me a lot about boys and how difficult they can be because they are so different from girls. Um, Kevin delights my heart in a very different sort of way. Um, but what I want to share with you is the wonder of boys, and I have come to really appreciate masculinity and the strength of maleness, um, particularly after reading John Eldridge's book, Wild at Heart. When it first came out, someone said, if you are married to a man or you have sons, you need to read this book. <clears throat> and I'm so glad I did. I don't agree with everything in it, but for the most part, I was so sad when that book ended. I, di I didn't want it to end. I was learning so much, and it answered so many questions about masculinity and the male heart. And I'll, some of that will come out in what I want to share with you. Um, a number of years ago, John Gray wrote a blockbuster book called Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus, talking about the inherent gender differences between men and women, many of which, um, if you trace it back to boys and girls, they just come out of the womb differently. And there's really good reason for that because God intends for boys and girls to be different. Their brains are different. Their bodies are different. The way they look at life is different. And that's okay. So what I want to share in the first part of my message with you is um, some of the elements from Boys Are From Mars about what it is that makes them different from girls and the things that these are not design flaws. These are design attributes that God was pleased to put in our boys. First of all, let me ask you, though, how many of you have sons? <laughs> I love that. Thank you for coming. <laughs> This may rock your world in the same way that it rocked mine. 
Okay, the first thing um, we talk about is that boys are self-reliant. Whereas girls tend to be interdependent and all are all about relationships and doing things with each other, boys want to do things on their own. I believe Kurt's first full sentence was, I do it. And when they grow up, they become men who do not want to ask for instructions or directions, who will not ask anybody in the grocery store, please tell me where the canned peas are, because you get more brownie points if you do it on your own. And this is because God made boys to be self-reliant. And that really is a strength because, really, when you think about it, when our forefathers were looking for the passage from the Rocky Mountains to the Pacific Ocean, they, they did, there was no 7-Eleven in Denver to stop at and say, excuse me, could you give us the best way to get to the Pacific Ocean? They had to do it on their own. And um, men need to be able to, do self, to, to rely on themselves without it freaking them out. Because of the fact that boys are self-reliant, by nature and by design, so don't let that um, mess with you, what that means is that um, if someone offers help to a boy, he does not feel honored like girls do. If, a, if you offer help to a girl, she's usually, not always, but usually going to say, oh, that's great. Somebody wanted to help me and have this part of my life with me and build a bridge to me. If you offer help, unsolicited help to a boy, he's going to feel like you are saying, loser, you can't do it on your own, you little wimp. He's going to hear a message that was never sent. But because of the self-reliance, he feels like we're dishonoring them. Um, a boy feels like we're dishonoring him if we offer him help before it's time. Understand that he sees accepting help as weakness. Men often see accepting help as weakness, which is one of the reasons they'll push back against being in community. Because community is about helping each other and being, doing life together and letting our needs be known so that others can meet them. And it totally goes against the flesh of a man, the fallen part of a man. Um, so when it comes to your little boy, understand that if you rush in and say, you want mommy to help you? What you're saying is, I love you so much and I want to help you because, you know, I want to bond with you. And what he hears is, Mommy knows you can't do this on your own, so she has to come rescue you, you little loser. So hold back and don't offer help prematurely. Instead, equip him in how to handle frustration. So talk to him about what you're doing, about the fact that, you know, it's really important that you learn how to do things on your own. And I know that makes you feel good about yourself. But sometimes you're going to try to do things that you're not quite ready to do on your own yet. But struggle, but struggle well. And when the, the angry, frustrated, uh-oh feelings inside keep just getting bigger and bigger till you feel like it's going to pop, that's the point at which you ask for help. And it, it doesn't mean you're a loser. It doesn't mean you're a bad boy. It doesn't mean you're too little. It means you are being wise because you're asking for help at the right time. To equip a boy to ask for help when he needs it but not before he needs it helps him to feel good about himself. It honors a boy to let him struggle instead of rescuing him. And so much of what we define as help 
is rescuing. And you, you weaken somebody just in a very physical way. Um, in, in the church that I was in for over 30 years, there was a young mom who was mentally challenged. And she was a single mom um, who loved having a baby boy. But she wasn't able to think through all the aspects of what it took to be a good mom. And she wasn't getting good input from her family. And she decided that she wanted to love him by carrying him everywhere. She didn't want him to learn to walk. She didn't want him to learn to crawl first. She just wanted to carry him because it made her feel good to have this baby in her arms. And she crippled him. Ray and I were serving in the church nursery at that time. And we were in the uh, the crawlers place. Uh, you know, we, that's how things got moved along from the infants in their cribs, whatever. So we were in with the crawlers, and um, he would want to crawl, but he wasn't sure how to do that because his mom didn't let him. And in the crawlers, we'd be in there once a month, and we would watch kids move through because you crawl and then you pull up and then you start to walk. But he didn't. He stayed stuck because his mom wouldn't let him learn to walk. And she crippled him that way. Now, eventually he did learn to walk, but it was yet another way in which his development was held back because she wanted to help him, but in reality she was rescuing him and she was retarding his development. Not a good thing. Another aspect of boys is that the male brain is linear in the way it works. This is because of something that happens in the gestational process about six weeks into a baby's life in utero. A baby boy's brain gets a hormone bath, and it changes his brain forever. There is um, a flat, it's like a flat computer cable that's inside your desktop that links the right and the left hemispheres. It's called the corpus callosum. And it allows the hemispheres to talk to each other. In a baby boy, it's six weeks into the gestational process, he gets this hormone bath that breaks down some of the connections in the corpus callosum that keeps the right and the left hemispheres from talking to each other. And what that means is that Electrical and thinking activity is localized in one part of the brain at a time. And so after this hormone bath, if you um, link up electrodes to little boy or even women's um, and men's scalps and ask them to think about certain things, a girl's brain, a woman's brain, will look like a firestorm. There's just all this activity all over both sides of the brain at the same time. All the parts of our brains are working with each other and talking to each other all the time. This is not so in the male brain. What's happening is one part will light up like a light bulb, and then he'll think about something else, and another part will light up like a light bulb. And he's not able to connect the right and the left hemispheres anywhere near as much as a girl can. And so what this means is that he's very linear in his thinking, one, two, three, and then that's about all he can handle. Um, If you give a boy four items to think about or to remember or, heaven forbid, four tasks to, to do, by the time you get to the fourth one, the first one has fallen off of the truck. And I I knew that for a long time, and I've been speaking about this for years. 
But one time, as Holly mentioned, I love cruising. I love cruise ships. And one time I was in the Carnival Conquest, which sails out of Galveston, and I was in the piano bar. I love sing-along places. You know, so I'm sitting there at the piano bar with the, um, the pianist who's got this, this list of songs out there for everybody to sing together. And he says, I'm here to take requests. But I can only take three at a time because as soon as you give me the fourth one, the first one's gone. I went, yes, I knew. I've been saying that for years, but here is a grown man acknowledging that that's the way it works. So understand that about three things is all most male brains can, can carry at one time. You do better to honor them by giving them one task at a time, one thought at a time. Understand that things are linear. And they're connected to each other that way. Don't ask them to think like you do, because their brains are not equipped to do that. By the way, that is why boys cannot multitask and girls can. Now, you know, being a woman, if you couldn't multitask, your family would be dead by now. <laughs> right? Because, I mean, how many times have you been cooking dinner, putting a Band-Aid on somebody's knee, answering the phone, keeping an eye on, you know, the, the news, on the TV? There's so many things going on, and we don't think anything of it. Because women are able to multitask. Girls are able to multitask because of the fact that both sides of our brains talk to each other. And this is by design. God knew that women would need to do more than one thing at a time in order for families to survive. So, um, because boys are linear, because they, they, it's like the tractor beam on one, one issue at a time, life is handled one piece at a time, don't try to start a conversation when they are engaged with someone or something else. You have to break the concentration first. It's like a giant sucking funnel that's connecting them to the TV or the computer or the paper or the game that they're playing. You have to break the concentration. Otherwise, you have what happened in the Bolin house before I learned this, Ray's reading the paper. And I would say, Ray, blah, 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 blah. And what he was hearing was, wah, 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 you know, from the Peanuts cartoon. He never heard a word I said because his concentration was on the paper. And what I've learned is I have to break it. Ray? Ray? Honey? Escalate the voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now when the paper comes down, now I can talk to him. Otherwise, if I start a conversation without him looking at me, it didn't register. Let me also tell you that if you're talking to um, a, a man or a boy and they're looking at you, but suddenly their eyes glaze and you know that they're staring off into space even though they're looking at you in your eyes and they're not there, just stop. Stop. Because if you try to hold them accountable for stuff you said while they were zoned out, they're going to say, you never said that. I remember saying that. You know, so the question that they should ask is, and what were my eyes doing while you were talking to me? So if they're just kind of glazed over, just stop talking and wait for them to come back into the moment. It happens with boys. It happens with men. Um, because the male brain is linear, um, boys don't listen well. They, they're concentrating on one thing at a time, and they don't honestly hear the words being poured into their ears. They're 
capacity to hear is much smaller than girls' capacity to hear. And that's because girls will generate three times as many words per day as boys. And we also have the ability to receive more words per day than boys and men. They honestly have a smaller capacity to listen. What that means is, with a boy, reach out physically and get his attention when you want to talk to him. There's something about the physical, the action of being touched, that allows him to connect to you. So your best conversations are not going to happen on the other side of the room. Reach out physically and break into whatever's going on by touching him on his shoulder. I don't mean a slap, okay? I just mean touch his head, touch his arm, whatever. And when they do connect with you, communicate in short bursts. Think sound bites. You want to talk in bullet points. Quick, to the point. Laser. Be laser in your communication with, with a boy. He does not appreciate long, luxurious conversations Um, and when you're talking with a boy and uh, especially the grown-up ones you're married to when you're telling him a story start with the bottom line and then and then work your way backwards such as um, had to take her to the emergency room today because he split open his head but he's okay that's the bottom line you do not start with Something interesting happened at school today, (laughs) which is how girls love to hear stories unfold in their glorious detail. We love to start at the beginning and unfold the whole thing, right? And we're talking to each other going, more, more, yes. Oh, my gosh, this is so getting good. It's frustrating the dickens out of most men. What they want, start with the bottom line, and then, then they really want to know the other details. Not as many as we want to give them, but they will want to know the other details. It makes all the difference in the world when you start with the bottom line. Now, does it change the impact of the drama of your story? Yes, it does. That's why you need girlfriends. Do not worry about maintaining drama and excitement in your storytelling with men. They don't want drama and excitement. They want the bottom line. So... Um, just keep that in mind as you talk with your sons. L- as few words as possible. He will, he will get it, um, I was going to say, more better. Yeah, I'm, I'm a professional speaker. He'll get it better if you say less and you're, you just concentrate it down to as little words as possible. Another aspect of boys is that they, by nature, are competitive. Unfortunately, in many of the public schools in the United States, because of the feminization of the culture, so many of the teachers and the administrators are women, um, we tend not to be competitive, although, there, of course, there are going to be competitive women. You know who they are. If you guys had a contest in here, that would be apparent really, really quickly. But for the most part, instead of being competitive, most girls are cooperative. We're all about relationships. We are relationally oriented rather than task oriented. But boys are, most boys are very competitive by nature. Um, if you to look at a boy, is to see a contest. And if we're not allowing them to compete, we are not turning them on using one of their primary motivating factors. The Lord showed me a number of years ago that he knew what he was doing when he made boys competitive. Proverbs 
27.17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Competition is how you get the best out of boys. So make it work for you. Your best friend could be a kitchen timer, particularly one that ticks instead of is silent. Forget the digital ones that are just silently counting down the times. Make, get one that makes a noise so that they hear the visual, the auditory cue that the time is a ticking, boy, and ask him, you know, okay, can you clean up your toys before the bell goes off? It's amazing what you can get out of a boy if you turn it into a contest. I want to tell you a story about that. I was t- talking about this at a group of moms about the competitive nature of boys, and one of the mentoring moms said she had two sons who were 18 months apart, like my sons are. And she couldn't understand why, although she was an excellent housekeeper, the hall bathroom just smelled like pee. And she just didn't understand it because she was constantly cleaning it. And one day, she happened to walk past the open bathroom door. And her sons were standing next to each other in front of the toilet seeing who could stand the further distance away and still make the urine stream go inside the bowl. And, of course, the contest was over when one of them missed the bowl. Of course, then it dribbles down the side onto the floor. And um, the other one won. And she says, okay, this is why I can't ever keep this bathroom clean. From that day on, she designated that the boys together needed to clean the toilet, the bathroom, the floor, the whole thing. And she taught them how to do it, and she would make sure that they did it right. There were no more contests. Now, back a few months, I was down at Pine Cove outside of uh, Houston. I was speaking at a mother-son conference. And I was talking a lot about the differences between boys and girls and talking, I just told that story um, about how competitive boys are, not thinking about the fact that the boys were still in the room. Oh, this was a major mistake. I had so many mothers come up to me going, I really liked you until you told that story because I am going to have to clean my bathroom a whole lot more now. I said, No, no, no. You just tell your boys, if any of them get the brilliant idea of doing a competition to see who can get the furthest, that Miss Sue said, here's the cleaning stuff, and you have to clean the bathroom from now on. Like, oh, watch your audience when you tell important stories. So at any rate, um, keep the, the, the fact that a boy is designed to be competitive in mind when you're trying to help him be the best that he can be. Against the clock, another family member, um, if they're not going to kill each other. But just understand the competition really helps a boy grow and blossom. That's why uh, you know, there are soccer leagues and t-ball leagues that have decided to do away with keeping score. What is the point of playing a game to a boy if you don't keep score and there are no winners? Well, of course, there are no losers. Right, but there are no winners. And the competition is meaningless if you don't keep score. And no wonder boys don't want to play in a situation like that. So just understand that the competitive part of a boy is part of his design. You don't need to fight against it. Use it to help him become the best boy that he can be. 
Another thing that I learned about boys, and this is very valuable information, is that boys bond shoulder to shoulder as opposed to girls who bond face to face. Because we are so relational, girls love being, being able to look in somebody's eyes, to be able to see all the nuances of body language. I think that's why the tables at Starbucks are so little, because you, know, you can get in really close and talk to somebody across the table that way. But boys find that very intimidating and daunting to have somebody looking at them in the eyes that way. If you notice, when guys have a good time with each other, it's when they're shoulder to shoulder, meaning they're facing in the same direction and they're not having to look at each other. So that could mean going to a game together where they're sitting in bleachers, um, going to a meal where the guys are sitting next to each other rather than across from each other. When they're engaged in a common task, whether it could be um, Habitat for Humanity or one of the many service projects that Watermark does, a guy can say, I had a great time being with these other guys because I was engaged in a common um, endeavor with them. And you say, what, what did you enjoy about it? Oh, just being with them. Well, what did you talk about? Didn't talk. <laughs> and we're thinking, we verbal relational creatures, we're thinking, how could you possibly have a good time with a guy without talking to him. Not a problem. If you're a guy, you just like being shoulder to shoulder with, with boys. What this means, this has a couple of implications. Um, if you want to unlock your son's heart so that he will more freely talk to you, go on a walk with him. Go on a drive with him. Go someplace where he doesn't have to look at you. Indirect ways... Indirect times of conversation um, will often be the key. One of my son's love languages is um, physical touch. And we had some of the best times in his room just before bed. The light is off, so it's very, very dim. He's on his stomach, and I'm rubbing his back. And because he can't see my face and I can't see his, he's opening his heart right up because the it, it, it can be just shut his heart down if he's forced to be face-to-face -face with you. What this can also mean is when you are having a conflict with your son, um, don't insist that he keep eye contact with you when you are speaking hard words to him. Now, that may go against everything you've ever been told or everything that you feel because, you know, being a woman, you want eye contact. You want to make sure that they're listening. Let me just tell you, it is so much easier for a boy to receive hard words in the midst of conflict, especially if he's in trouble, if we don't insist that he look at us. Now, I will add the caveat that when it's time for an apology, that needs to be eyeball to eyeball. A real apologies, you're looking the person in the eye. You take a responsibility for what you did. I'm sorry I called you a butthead. Um, you know, you specify, this is what I did. Um, and you say, I was wrong. Those are powerful words. And they're very hard. They get harder to say the older you get unless you teach them young how to say that I, I was wrong is part of an apology. Really, when you think about it, um, the biblical concept of confession is acknowledging that God is God and we are not. He is right and we are wrong. We have sinned. 
we were wrong. We need to humble ourselves and acknowledge that we were wrong without adding a comma but, you know, which justifies and rationalizes what we were doing um, and, and to say, I'm sorry, I did this, I was wrong, will you forgive me? And that's how you do an apology, but it needs to be eyeball to eyeball. Now, that only takes just a few seconds. That can be done eyeball to eyeball without it being the undoing of a boy. There was a, an elementary school principal who was learning about gender differences, particularly the brain-based differences between boys and girls, and learning how their brains function differently um, and decided to do an experiment with the boys who were sent to her office. Usually it's for fighting. We'll talk about that in a minute, why that is. And learning what she had, what she had learned about boys and the way that they function and the way that they react, she made three changes in the way that she dealt with boys sent to her office. First of all, when they arrived, she knew that they needed time to calm down because when a boy is upset, he's got adrenaline pumping through his system and, he is, and that just effectively shuts down the brain's ability to think or talk. When a boy has red-hot anger inside and the adrenaline is, is just surging through him, don't even try to have a conversation with him. There's absolutely no way you're going to get anywhere with it. Don't fight it. Just give him a time, a cool-down time. So she would say to a boy, Okay, I will talk to you in 10 minutes. You are invited to sit here and just cool down for a few minutes. I'm not going to talk to you for a little while, and it's, it's fine. Then after 10 minutes had passed, which gave him time to cool down and for the adrenaline to, um, the levels to drop in his body, then she would invite him. Notice, invite, not command. She would invite him to go on a walk with her. And they would be walking next to each other, either around the school or outside the school or wherever, where she was shoulder to shoulder with these boys. And they didn't have to look in her face. And they were not seeing her face. He was just hearing her words. Because he was walking and he was next to the principal instead of face to face with her, it helped boys um, to process their thinking because most of them, their brains work better if something is moving. And because they were walking, their leg muscles were, were, were moving and enabled them to think better. And she wouldn't accuse them. She would invite them to say, tell me what happened. Just tell me the story. And she would get through, you know, hear whatever it was that happened um, and let them talk until they were done talking. The boys made, it made such a difference on the boys because they felt respected, they felt honored, they felt accommodated in their maleness. Um, and because these boys, who were such troublemakers, felt valued and respected, in one year, the number of incidents that required a boy being sent to the um, principal's office dropped from 200 to 20 in one year. Because here's these boys who suddenly realize, I've got a principal that I matter to. She values me. She, she's not fighting against the way that I am. Of course, they're not thinking this consciously, but that's how it hit their hearts. Because she was honoring their design as boys. Now, she may not have been thinking, God made them this way, and I'm going to honor that that's the way that they are, but that is what happened. Another thing about boys is that talking is for conveying facts and information only. Unlike girls, 
would generate three times as many words per day as boys and grow up to be mommies who talk and talk and talk and talk and talk by design. Really, when you think about it, we are the infant, we are the caretakers of infants and toddlers. How do children learn to talk? By swimming in a sea of words. So God makes women to be more verbal than men. It makes perfect sense that we would be more verbal. But we talk to express our hearts, to connect with another person, to feel heard and understood, to open our hearts and share. It's not just about getting information from me to you. It's such a bigger issue for girls and for women. But for boys and men, talking is simply for conveying facts and information. They do not glory in long conversations where they just feel so loved and affirmed and cared for. That's not how they feel loved. They feel loved if you have sex with them. This is the husbands we're talking about, okay? That's how they feel loved. We feel loved when someone has, has long conversations with us. Very different. So for boys, if you understand that talking is only for conveying facts and information, wait for them to initiate conversations with you. Because if you try to have a conversation with a boy when he's not wanting to have a conversation with you, you're not getting anywhere. You're just frustrating him, and you're wasting time. Wait for him to initiate conversation with you. Also, when you ask a boy or a husband, what are you thinking about? And he says, nothing. Believe it. <laughs> Boys and men have our, have compartmentalized thinking. They're like a chest of drawers with all these different compartments. And only one drawer is open at a time. So there's the driving drawer and the work drawer and the um, time with God drawer and the time with wife drawer and the time with children drawer. Only one drawer is open at a time. They have a drawer marked nothing. And when that drawer is open and you say, what are you thinking about? And they say nothing, it's because their nothing drawer is open, okay? And don't, fit, but don't push going, oh, I know, that can't be true. Believe it. It really is. And if you ask your son, son, what are you thinking about? Nothing. Okay. <laughs> Go on to something else. <laughs> now, I've, in the last few years as I've been studying gender differences, I learned about something called aggression nurturing. Very insightful um, about the, way, the different ways that boys nurture each other compared to the way that girls nurture each other. Now, if I say nurture to you, you're all girls. What do you think? Tell me, give me some words to come to mind when I say the word nurture. Hugs? Tender? Kind words? Feeding them? Soft? Gentle, comforting, right? That's how we nurture children. That's how we nurture each other as women. That's how we nurture our husbands. That's what we do. That is empathetic nurturing. But that's not the only kind of nurturing there is. There's a masculine kind of nurturing called aggression nurturing that guys do with each other, that dads do with their sons. And it's a very healthy thing because boys need to have a thicker skin, particularly for the um, tender-hearted, emotionally sensitive, easily upset little boys who have their own set of giftings. But if they don't learn to develop a thicker skin, they are going to be in a world of hurt when they get out into the world of elementary school or 
out playing on, on, in the street or, heaven forbid, junior high youth group. Um, and so there are ways that men nurture other men and men nurture boys and daddies nurture sons that is very important for the development of a backbone in a boy and the development of a thicker skin. Um, and what that means is that there's some toughness there. It can include some non-hostile, and understand non-hostile is a key word here, slugging. You know, if, you, if, if you've ever seen a man come along and kind of punch a boy or another man in the upper arm, that's a form of nurturing. It's really, really easy for us to think of that as stupid male bashing. You know, it's what in the world are you doing? But prodding, touching them unnecessarily. Um, have you ever, do you remember seeing boys in the school hallways where they would walk up and body slam another boy? just because they can, which is a way, it's a male way of saying hi. And we look at that and going, that is nuts. That is, why are you doing that? And, and when a guy does that to another guy, he usually hears the message, I'm loved, I'm valued, I'm cared for, I'm one of the boys. He loves it. Now, the thing is, if you've got this emotionally sensitive, tender-hearted crybaby type, um, they need that, but they also need for us to frame it for them so that they understand they're not being mean. They're trying to help you be a stronger boy, to have a thicker skin, because you're going to need that. So, you know, don't, don't think that they're beating up on you. Just understand that's how boys nurture other boys. So what I want to suggest to you, although this may sound like treason, is consider... Um, tolerating what might look like cruelty or rudeness to you, check with a man to see if it really is. Now, name-calling falls in two categories. One lifts up and the other hurt is hurtful. There's probably most of us in this room still have wounds from labels that were put on us in elementary and junior high of ugly names, ugly labels. That's not nurturing. That's not aggression nurturing. That's mean, ugly sin rearing its head. But um, to call somebody a name that reflects a strength, okay, smarty pants, or okay, brainiac, to a, a kid who's gifted intellectually, that is aggression nurturing. It's calling him a name that is not shaming him. It's kind of pushing in an area of his strength. Um, my first pastor used to have a saying, kid up, not down. And what, he, what that meant was, if you're going to kid somebody, kid in an area of their strength, never in an area of their weakness. So, for example, I'm one of the last people to get polio before the vaccine was developed. And so um, I have limped every step of my life for, since the time I learned to walk. Um, I lived the first several years with a long steel and leather brace on my leg just in order to allow me to stand, much less walk. And it has always been a sensitive issue for me, um, particularly until I was 45 and God brought a huge healing to the shame wound in me. But it was not okay for anybody to call me gimp or cripple girl 
or anything that reflected on this thing that was so hurtful to me. That is not loving me well. That is not nurturing. Even a, That's not aggression nurturing. That's hurtful. So calling people names can be okay if you're kidding up. Calling them tiger and champ and that kind of thing. Um, and that's not even kidding. That's, that's name calling in a good way. But understand that that there is this other kind of nurturing. So I've got this in my mind this week as I'm thinking about coming and sharing with you about the wonder of boys. And the other night I am in the, the line to check out at Tom Thumb, and here's this guy checking out next to me. And in come from the door comes another man who literally, without giving him any warning whatsoever, body slams him. I mean, he practically knocked him over. And the guy's like, whoa! And he turned around and he saw his friend. He goes, hey! The two of them hug each other and they're high-fiving and they're punching each other. And I just laughed. And he looked at me, this guy, and and I said, I'm going to give a lecture on the wonder of boys on Friday morning. And you have just given me this great picture of what it looks like right here. Because girls don't walk in and body slam each other, you know? We go in and hug, but... And they ended up hugging, but they started out with a punch and a body slam. It's such a guy thing, and I see that and I love it. But I've learned I've learned to love it. Um, one of the things to help you understand if this is okay or not in your family is to check the motive. When when a boy or a man is being aggressively nurturing with with another one, is the purpose to help the guy belong or is it to exclude him? So calling names to push somebody to the side and and make them feel ostracized and like they're not included, that's not okay. That's bullying and it needs to be stopped. But when the point is to bring them in, you belong in the world of boys, that's a good thing. Now here's a really, really major thing to take home with you. Boys need respect. If you're familiar with Emerson Egrich's book, Love and Respect, which is one of the best books on marriage you will ever find, he talks about the fact that boys and men are created to need respect the way that girls and women are created to need love and tender care, cherishing. One of my friends um, came up with this wonderful analogy. He said, When a baby boy is born, one of the reasons he has an umbilical cord is that it's a way for God to hook a blue respect bucket to him. And when he is taken home from the hospital and he's given to his parents, it is their privilege and responsibility to keep pouring respect into his respect bucket because boys need it. In the same way, when a little girl is born, she's got an umbilical cord to hook a pink love bucket. And we need to pour cherishing and love into her bucket. And as long as our boys are under our roof, we have the privilege and the responsibility of pouring respect into their bucket. Now, the problem with being a fallen person in a fallen world is that our buckets have holes in them. And so they leak And so a continual infusion of respect needs to go into our boys' respect bucket. 
And it really, if we have a biblical understanding of boys, it really shouldn't be too difficult because we understand that they, our sons, are made in the image of God, which instantly bestows on them respect and dignity and honor. They deserve respect simply because they are made in the image of God. They don't have to do anything. If you have a child who is born into a world who is deaf, dumb, blind, no sensory apparatus, has no ability to integrate anything of life, he's just there, just lying there. He still deserves respect because he's still made in the image of God. Maybe severely broken, but still deserves respect. And so our boys need for us to respect them. How do you do that? Well, one of the ways you do it is to honor them by offering a continual flow of small choices that move you on to more significant choices. One of the best books to help you understand how to do this is called Parenting with Love and Logic by Klein, C-L-I-N-E, and Fay, F-A-Y. Wonderful examples in this book. So, for example... You start off with a little toddler. Um, you can give him clothing choices. You are in charge of the choices, but he gets to choose from among your choices. Would you like to wear the red shirt today or the blue shirt? He doesn't have the option of the purple shirt. You are giving him the choice of the red or the blue shirt. You are in charge of deciding your choices today. I will give you the choices. You may choose which one. You can give him some limited food choices. Would you like to have Cheerios this morning? Or would you like Mommy to make you some scrambled eggs? Instead of, this is what you're getting. Well, now there are mornings when that's the way it works. But in order to help a boy feel respected, if you give him a choice and then you honor that choice, he's going to feel respected. As he gets older, you can give him the choice of room colors. Let's We can... Um, we're going to paint your room if you'd like to have it painted. Any color other than black is acceptable. So what color would you like? It's a great way to show, show respect to a, to a boy. Choosing him his, excuse me, giving him his choice of sports to be involved in is a way of showing him respect. Some boys don't, um, just cannot stand contact sports. Because God made them to not like contact sports. One of the things that the Lord has shown me, and I particularly see it in view of the fact that I've been in homosexual ministry for 10 years, is that there is a gender spectrum for boys and a different one for girls. And, and children come out of the womb somewhere on the spectrum. On one end of the boy spectrum are the all-American rough-and-tumble boys who can't wait to get out there and climb trees and get dirty, and they've got a truck-and-gun gene. And um, they just, they're the quintessential boy. When you think a rough-and-tumble boy, that's who they are. On the other end of the spectrum, and I would say probably 3 to 5% of the population falls in this category, are the emotionally sensitive, artistic, creative boys um, who are very tender-hearted. These are the ones that are um, great at art and music and drama. They'll love poetry, love writing. They're very emotionally insensitive, intuitive. 
Honestly, we could go downstairs right now and identify these boys among three-year-olds and four-year-olds because if somebody starts to cry, they'll drop whatever they're doing and go over and they'll do the empathy nurturing. You okay? I'm sorry. Can I help you? You know, and they'll give hugs and they'll pat and they'll do the things that they've seen you model to them because they're emotionally sensitive. God makes a certain number of boys like this. Unfortunately, in our culture, a a bad, bad label of gay kid has been slapped on that. And they start getting um, accused early on of not being good enough. You're not like the other boys. And they're not told, you know what, you're not a rough and tumble kind of boy. God didn't make you that way. He made you this other kind of boy. And it's all, all the different, both ends of the spectrum and everywhere in between is a delight to God, and there's nothing wrong with any of it. Particularly when you think about what a gift the, um, the artistic, creative boys are. If they grow up in the church and they love the Lord and they love the body of Christ, what a gift it is when they bring beauty and, and um, writing and poetry and art and music Dennis Jernigan, who himself struggled with homosexuality for a number of years before God brought healing to him, and we sing songs of his in church, um, he says they are the Davids of the church. They are the, the, the songwriters and the musicians and the artists, and Satan just wants to pick them off and get them out of the church, and so we're left with something less than what God intends for us to have. Some of you have some of these emotionally sensitive boys. Let me just tell you, that when these boys are supported in their masculinity, as God chose for them to have that kind of masculinity, particularly by their fathers, when they get the sense that I am I'm a good kind of boy just the way that I am, and my dad believes in me and he supports me, they grow up to be some of the best pastors and counselors and musicians and teachers, wonderful husbands and fathers. My husband is this kind of, um, of boy, and, and I so appreciate his tender heart. One of my sons, is, his art degree was in art education, and I remember one time he, he was just lamenting his sensitivity. He goes, Mom, I'm such a girl. And I said, sweetie, you are not a girl. You are a fantastic specimen of masculinity, and I so appreciate your tender heart. You watch God use it. And he's headed, as soon as he graduates from seminary in May, he's headed to San Francisco to work in a church. He wants to be a pastor. He wants to love on people. He's going to be working right next to the gay community in San Francisco. And I I just love that, that he'll have the understanding of those giftings without being crippled by, um, the shame that, that shouldn't be labeled with those emotionally sensitive boys. Please, if you've got an emotionally sensitive, artistic, creative son, encourage him to just grow and be crazy um, developing those gifts. But he also needs, in order to function in this culture, he also needs to be able to hold his own in the area of sports somehow because that is capital in the world of boys and men. So if you've got a boy who can't stand contact sports, who really can't stand the thought of anybody tackling him or somebody throwing a ball at him, then direct him into an area of sports where um, he's more in control and, and there isn't that 
um, that, that sense of being overwhelmed and out of control. Martial arts that are not engaged in Eastern philosophy is a good way to go. Soccer can be a good way to go depending on what, what uh, position he plays. In soccer, did you know you're not supposed to touch the other players? <laughs> you touch the ball. Now, I'm not entirely sure that all the heading of the ball that my son did didn't harm him permanently, but, but he never got into trouble being tackled by other people. But, but offer them um, some sort of sporting choices that allow him to get comfortable in his own body and develop strength because boys need to feel strong. There's different kinds of strength, but they need to feel strong in the same way that your girls need to feel beautiful. Another thing that you can do to show your boys respect is by listening and not interrupting. Um, this is true of everybody on the planet, however. Let me just, just tell you that it's a great place to start with our boys. We don't want to be interrupted when we're, when we're telling a story or we're making a statement. So listening without interrupting is a huge way of showing respect. Not offering advice unless they ask for it is a good way of showing res respect. But of course, as mothers, part of what we need to do is train our children. And so one of the things that you can do is find indirect ways of offering advice to a boy um, along the lines of, you know, one time I was struggling with this issue or I, was, I had this challenge and I did something that worked pretty well um, and you tell them what it was. And you're just, you're giving them an I message rather than you should do this. You see the difference? Being indirect with boys and men really has its place in terms of them not feeling demeaned or disrespected. I learned that in the car, um, my husband will be driving, and because the, the driving drawer cannot be open at the same time as the conversation drawer, if we are engaged in conversation and I know that the exit is coming up, He's not thinking about the exit coming up. He's thinking about the conversation. So when, we st when he still has time to actually get over there in that lane, um, and I have a feeling that he's not thinking about making that exit, um, I'll say, are we going to go the regular way this time? Which is an indirect way of saying, the egg, don't miss the exit. And this actually came up a number of years ago when I said, you know, when I think I see that you're, like, going to miss an exit or a turn or whatever, and I see it and you don't, and I tell you what I see, you tend to react defensively. And I don't like making you feel that way. So I need advice from you on how do you want me to make a suggestion to you so that you don't feel defensive, I need you to give me input on that. And he said, whoa, <laughs> I'm going to have to think about that. And he really did have to think about it for some time. And one of the things he had to tell himself was, no matter what I tell her when she does it, I will not have the right to react defensively. Because she asked me, how do you do this without reacting defensively? So, um he, he gave me some, basically what he was saying was kind of be indirect, because if you're direct, it can be taken as disrespectful. Now, there are times to be direct with men. 
um, getting to the bottom line and that kind of thing. Read Dr. Laura's book, The Proper Care and Feeding of Husbands, for a great explanation of how to be direct as opposed to indirect. But, um, and by the way, I wrote a review of that on the probe.org website if you want to read that instead. Another way to show a boy respect is to not be sarcastic or shaming or condemning. You know from being on the receiving end of any kinds of shaming or sarcasm or condemning messages how disrespected you feel. Don't talk down to them as inferior simply because they're not adults. Kids' um, BS meter is usually very finely tuned and they know when they're being disrespected just because they're little. Understand that a boy's greatest fear is failure and underlying that is the fear of rejection, of not being good enough. If you know that, then you can tweak your communications and your body language toward him. Because, see, there's a, a question attached to every male heart. Do I have what it takes? And what we want to communicate to them um, is you're good enough, you're strong enough, and you have what it takes. And let me just tell you, I'm going, to t I'm going to read this to you again because this is especially powerful when it comes from Daddy. You're good enough, you're strong enough, and you have what it takes. When a boy hears that from his dad, it's like Dad gives him the man card. We don't have the ability to imprint masculinity on the heart of a boy. We never will. We're feminine. We don't have masculinity in us. Only a man can imprint masculinity on the heart of a boy, which is why it's so important to have godly men in your boy's life. You're good enough? Yes. How do you deal with disappointment when you're, they're clearly not good enough for that? You help them draw a distinction between who they are as a person and this bump in the road. Everybody is, is going to experience disappointments and what can feel like a failure. Um, but the fact that you didn't make the team or you didn't get in the play or whatever is no reflection on who you are as a person. It meant God shut that door for you. And let me suggest to you, dear son, that you think of this not as the end of the world, like falling into the Grand Canyon, this is a bump in the road. And you are going to be the one who decides, is this a bump in the road or a major catastrophe? And let me just, let's pray and ask Jesus to help you understand that this is just a bump in the road. Because there are going to be other times when you're not going to get what you really wanted. Everybody goes through that. And you need to tell them, this is not just you. That's part of growing up. Everybody experiences disappointments. And this, today is your day. Um, and when you frame it in the bigger picture, this is part of growing up. It's part of becoming a man. Um, and you do not have to let this define you. Because who you are is wonderful. This has nothing to do with the fact that you didn't get what you wanted. We need to separate those. Because the enemy is going to encourage us all to identify ourselves with our failures and our disappointments. I didn't get what I wanted, therefore I'm worthless. That's a lie from the pit of hell. You didn't get what you wanted. You're very disappointed. But in and of yourself, you are just fine. Because who you are is not a loser. Who you are is the beloved child of God the Father. 
and you happen to be the beloved child of me too. As a matter of fact, um, having two sons, one of the, our favorite things to get to do is to introduce them to someone or make the comment publicly, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. We quote the father's statement at Jesus' baptism about our sons, and they love it. Recently, um, my son Kevin is on staff at Denton Bible Church, and he was on stage for Access, which is a ministry to, uh, in college life for, to the college students in Denton. And he had done two messages on a Christian view of the environment, most of which he got from my husband Ray, who was green before green was cool. And then the third week, Ray was on a panel with Kevin and a couple other guys. And people, they made the comments and answered questions and that kind of thing. But it was the first time ever that Ray and Kevin were ever able to speak together. And at the end of the evening, um, when the moderator said, would anybody like to make one final comment? Ray grabbed the mic and he said, yes, I would like to say that this is my first time to speak with my son, Kevin, and I'm delighted that this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And it was really cool because the people in the audience who knew where that came from, who knew the Bible well enough, they loved it. But there were a lot of people that thought, well, that's nice. But they didn't understand that God the Father had said that of Jesus, and that's why it was so Powerful came straight out of the Bible. A um, couple last things about boys needing respect is that a boy needs to feel capable. And we need to help him feel like he's got what it takes, capable. A powerful affirmation for him is, I believe in you. He needs to hear that from us. He needs to hear that from his dad. He needs to hear that from as many people in his life as possible. Now, I want to share with you some insights from some men about what men want moms to know about boys. In preparation for, for this mother and son's retreat that I did, um, I am engaged in an online support group for those who are dealing with unwanted homosexuality and family members of those who are in the gay lifestyle. So I went into the men's um, forum and said, I promise not to read your other stuff, guys, um, but I do want to ask you to help me out here. I want you to tell me, since I'm going to be speaking to several hundred moms of boys, what would you like me to tell them? Um, what insights would you, do you wish somebody had told your mother? Because it kind of messed with you. Um, most of the guys had somewhat dysfunctional relationships with both their mothers and their fathers. And I also asked a lot of other guys, you know, my community group, um, men that we work with at Probe. I asked all kinds of men, what do you wish moms knew about boys? And so um, let me go through the things that I heard from men. And I just thought this was gold. So helpful. And I get to, to, to turn around and give it to you. First thing was, don't try to turn him into a girl. Please do not try to make your son one of your girlfriends. Celebrate his masculinity, and if he has a sister, celebrate her femininity. They are not the same. Um, don't teach him to be good. Teach him to be godly. Good boys have a way of losing their soul and their determination to speak truth into chaos. They'll do anything to become people pleasers. 
if, if the best thing you know, if you're continually affirming your boy, you're such a good boy, what you're doing is you're setting him up to continue to earn your approval by being good. And that sounds good on the outset, but what it does is it turns him into um, a, a people pleaser and it can cripple him because of the fear of man, which the Bible says is a snare. And so... Affirm him on lots of things, but it's not that you want him to be a bad boy, but what you don't want is someone who's good on the outside and has this dark, rebellious inner heart on the inside, who dare not be honest and truthful about what he's struggling with, about the fact that he has dark thoughts, um, because mom wants to know that I'm her good boy. So just take that off your radar screen. Another thing that these men said was, men need, boys need men to imprint masculinity on them. If you really want him to be your son, then let him be his father's boy, not yours. Do any of you know any mama's boys? Maybe brothers or uncles or people in your life. 35 years old, still living at home, mom still does his laundry. You know, and he's very content to live at home and be mama's boy. How, how well are you able to look up to him and respect him and see him as a strong, independent, self-reliant man? It's not a good thing to be mama's boy. Now, it's fine to be mommy's boy when he's two and three years old, okay? Those, our children need to bond with us first. If, if they don't have that foundation of connecting with mom, they're going to be messed up with life. So... You know, when they're babies and they're toddlers, they need to have that incredibly close, wonderful relationship with you. But after they turn about four years old, you really need to keep directing them as much as possible to dad or to other godly men in his life, to grandpa or whoever, so that he gets imprinted with masculinity on his soul because men are able to teach boys how to be boys in ways we never can. Sometimes you'll hear a woman say, well, you know, because either my husband died or we got a divorce or I've always been a single mother or whatever, I've had to be both mother and father to my sons, to my children. And I'm sorry, you can't. There's no way to be a father when you're a woman. You just can't. It sounds good, but it, it's not realistic. So push him toward his father. You cannot give him what his father possesses. If there is no father, push him toward men. If there are no men in your life, ask God daily to bring, you, bring some into your life. Mothers are the gatekeepers between kids and their dad. And so you want to encourage that relationship. Almost every single one of the guys that's involved in Living Hope Ministries, the ones who struggle with homosexuality, almost every single one, had an abnormally close relationship with mom and a very distant relationship with dad. He just um, detached himself from dad because dad was not safe or good, or dad was just so different that he couldn't connect. And the director of the ministry, Ricky Shillette, has come here to speak at Watermark a couple times, and he said, it's like dad speaks Chinese and the kids and son speaks Spanish, and they're just constantly missing each other. But if you're the adult... You can learn your son's language. So, for example, um, there is a man in the, in the ministry who has struggled with homosexuality. Um, in his case, it's bisexuality because he's also married and has a son. 
And as he's been working on his stuff, he realized how important it was for him to imprint masculinity on his son the way that his dad didn't do for him. But his son is a ballet dancer. And as you can imagine, if you've got a boy who's gifted in dance, like those who are gifted in art and music, performing arts, I mean, have you seen Glee? Um, you see those boys, it's so easy for kids to, to push them aside as, oh, you know, you're the gay kid. Well, here's this boy who's gifted in dance. I don't know if you've ever seen a ballet, a male ballet dancer, but I will put them against any football player any day of the week. They have to be incredibly strong, disciplined athletes. So here's this dad who has struggled with same-sex attraction most of his, um, his adult life, and he's been given a son who's on the um, emotionally sensitive, artistic, creative, dancing side of the spectrum, and he said, it's my job, and I get to have the privilege of imprinting masculinity in my son. And I want him to know I am there for him. I am there at every performance. I'm the first one to start clapping. I am so supportive of anything he wants to do. I want my son to know what I never got, which is the sense my dad is for me. And here is this man who has struggled well against his own sex, same-sex attractions who is having a son who doesn't struggle at all, even though he's a dancer, because Dad believes in me. And I just I love that success story. By the way, um, a friend of mine, Jody Capehart, is now on staff with Hope for the Heart, and um, she has rewritten a girl's charm course. Christian Girls Charm Course. Someone else taught it. She rewrote it and then wrote one, a, a book for teachers. And um, she sent me a copy when it was first published. And it was sitting by my computer. And my older son, Kurt, who is a voracious reader of fiction, said, what is this? And I said, it's Mrs. Mrs. Capehart's new book. And he said, that's stupid, a charm course. Who does charm courses? Well, then... He picked it up and he was leafing through it and he realized what it was is an opportunity for women to teach girls how to be women. And he said, I want to retract my earlier statement about how stupid the book is. Because I remember um, in the, an incident, a conversation in one of my books that speaks to this. And he emailed it to me. And this is a boy and a girl are, are talking and the boy says, what are you doing? And the girl says, the lady, capital L, is teaching me how to be a woman. The boy says, ha, nobody teaches us how to be men. We just are. And the girl says, that's probably why you make such a bad job of it then. Which There's a lot of truth in that because if we don't have men to teach boys how to be men, how are they going to know how to be men? How are they going to know? By watching TV. Okay. Keep that in mind next time you watch a sitcom. What happens? What are the statements being made about husbands and fathers? They are always the buffoons, the ones at the bottom of the pecking order. Their wives are better than them. The kids are better than them. They're always idiots. Ever since um, the Cosby show went away, there have been no respectful views of men. And so... Guys are not, boys are not being taught how to be men. That's why daddies and other men need to be imprinting masculinity on them. Another thing I heard from these men is respect your son, his dad, and men in general. 
don't speak negatively about men, especially his father, because you can teach him to detach from masculinity in an attempt to please you. Consider what Ephesians 4.29 says. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, which means building up according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. The only way that your son is going to learn to love and respect dad is if he sees you modeling it. It's really important that you have a good relationship where you show respect and honor to your husband, to the other men in his family. The Medal of Honor is not only for military heroes. We as moms can give our sons the Medal of Honor and respect every day. Uh, Above all, always respect his father and insist that he respect his father and you. Just insist on that respect being given. Another thing that these men said that they pleaded with us as, as moms of boys is to affirm him. Which means delighting in who he is and not just what he does. If all we ever affirm is what he does, then what we're saying is you got to perform in order to be okay. And our sons, our daughters too, but our sons need to know that we affirm them as who they are. And they don't have to do anything to make us love them and be proud of them and be so, so grateful that God brought them into our family. Really, when you think about it, when you gave birth to that child or brought your child into your home through adoption, what did that kid have to do in order to earn your love? Absolutely nothing. All babies do is eat and sleep and poop and cry. Babies don't need to do anything to earn our approval, and you need to let your children know as they grow, you need to do nothing to earn my love. You already have it. I believe in you. I believe in what God wants to do in you. I affirm you as you are. But be specific about what you appreciate about him and praise him with no but attached. When you praise him, don't try to turn it into an opportunity to tweak how it could have been better. This one, unfortunately, comes from my own husband who cannot ever remember hearing his mother or his father say, I love you. Never, ever heard either parent say anything good to him about himself. There is still this huge hole in his heart. There's so much hurt there. And although he knows that his parents were proud of him about certain things because of things that they would do or things that they would say to other people, they never once affirmed him directly. This is really hurtful. What I would like to do is suggest to you that before your kid goes to bed tonight, think of three things that you appreciate about your son and tell them what you appreciate uh, appreciate about them. And don't expect a huge reaction. Don't, and he won't make it obvious that he heard you either. Because boys' brains percolate information differently than girls' brains. So when you say something to a boy, it takes a while for it to settle down and for it to hit his heart. If you say something to a boy or to a man and he doesn't react, don't think he wasn't listening. Just wait. Because it's just he's thinking more slowly than you do. So it's okay. You, you may, um, it will come back to roost. As I'm bringing this in for a landing, don't be overprotective. 
Moms want to protect, protect kids from pain, but pain is necessary for learning. Not egregious, unnecessary pain, but trying to keep them from experiencing any of the bumps and bruises of life will teach them that when those bumps and bruises come, they are traumas rather than bumps and bruises. Risk-taking is a part of masculinity, and moms must risk letting their sons experience pain. It's okay for him to get hurt on occasion. And this may sound really, really scary, but I want to encourage you to let his dad be the one who decides safety issues. Because dad's going to let him climb trees when you may go, oh, no, 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 no. No son of mine is going to do anything that might result in a fall. He, he needs to be able to do a little bit of scary risk-taking. One of the men said, if your son is injured,